Yeah, okay, I can tell you're really excited. So, let me read it for you. It's a longer chapter, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 27. In my Bible, the section is entitled, The New Jerusalem, and I want to just read it with you. So, uh, track with me. The words are on the screen, and let's read it together. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son." But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone from the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls." The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth chameleon, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethysts. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure, pure gold like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. 
On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it, and nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You got all that? Perfectly clear, right? Let's pray. Father, we come before you today to say, God, we need you. We need you to help make sense of this passage. We need you, Lord, by your Spirit to speak into our hearts and minds exactly what we need to hear today, and that may be different for each one of us. But, Lord, you can do it. Lord, as I bring your word today, I pray that I will bring it with accuracy and truth and power. Anoint this message, anoint me as the messenger, and anoint us all as we listen and hear what it is that the Spirit is saying to the churches, even to Grace Reformed Church on this day. So open our hearts, open our minds, still our bodies, and silence our lips that we may hear and not miss out on what it is that you have to say today. In your holy name we pray, amen. Heaven. Perhaps no topic has been more fascinating to the mind of believers, a source of greater wonder, awe, or speculation. What will it be like to cross over into your heavenly home? What will we see there? Whom will we meet? What will be the sounds? What will be the surroundings? What will your first five minutes in heaven be like? Will we run into the arms of Jesus? Will we immediately be met by loved ones gone before? Will we meet our favorite pets of old there? Will my dog Sparky from my boyhood years, will Sparky be there? I hope so. Will my cat be there? No. Pretty sure. Two buddies, Bob and Earl, were some of the biggest baseball fans in America. For their entire adult lives, Bob and Earl discussed baseball history in the winter, and they poured over every score during the baseball season itself. They went to 60 games a year. They even agreed that the one who died first would try to communicate to the other and tell him whether or not there was baseball in heaven. One summer night, Bob passed away in his sleep. A few nights later, his buddy Earl awoke to the sound of Bob's voice. Bob, is that you? Of course it is me, Bob replied. This is unbelievable, said Earl. Earl exclaimed, so tell me, is there baseball in heaven? And Bob said, well, I have some good news and some bad news. Which do you want me to hear, which do you want me to tell you first? He said, tell me the good news first. Well, the good news is that, yes, Earl, there is baseball in heaven. Wow, that's great. That's wonderful. Now, what could possibly be the bad news? You're scheduled to pitch this Friday night. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say a lot about heaven, but today we consider the most descriptive and detailed illustration 
of heaven in all of the Bible, courtesy of John, we get a glimpse, a window into our everlasting life, that is for believers, your eternal heavenly destiny, courtesy of John, we get a glimpse into it today. And in case you're wondering whether or not you think you want to go to heaven, today's message should remove all doubt. What will a believer's everlasting life be like? At least five things. It will be beautiful in nature. Do you have a bucket list? Are there things that you would like to do or places that you would like to visit on earth before you kick the bucket and die? Do you want to travel abroad, maybe visit a great city like Paris or Rome or the Holy Land? How about traveling to Hawaii or seeing the Grand Canyon or hiking the Appalachian Trail or maybe taking a trip to the Caribbean? But what if I told you you didn't have to have a bucket list? What if you didn't have to be in a hurry to do these things? What if I told you that you would have all eternity to travel anywhere that you want, to do anything that you like, and to see whatever sights you wanted? Verse 1 of Revelation 21, John says, Then I saw a new heaven, that is the new skies, the new firmament above the earth, and a new earth. Isaiah 65, verse 17, also prophesies about this new heaven and earth. But what if your everlasting life wasn't about floating around in the clouds of heaven somewhere, but more of a blending of heaven and earth? That is, a new earth, a fully restored earth, a purified earth. What if heaven were more of a return to the Garden of Eden, creation in its original beauty, nature at its best? Most biblical scholars agree that the new earth does not mean that God is going to junk this old one. No, the original word here in the Greek implies restoration, not a complete reworking or rebirth or renewing, excuse me, a recreating. For God does not abandon the work of his hands. Rather, it means that God will fully restore and renew this earth, return it to its natural beauty. Good news, you don't have to have a bucket list. You're going to have all eternity to explore this earth. Imagine a world with no pollution, no global warming, with pure and pristine rivers and lakes, so pure you can drink out of them, clean air, blue skies, no trash, no dumps, no storms, no tornadoes, no hurricanes, no weeds in your garden. Imagine being able to fly around in your newly resurrected spiritual body and visit Hawaii, Alaska, Paris, and Australia all in the same day. Sounds kind of fun. Do you remember the story of John 21, how Jesus appeared to his disciples on the seashore after his resurrection? Now, they didn't know it was Jesus at first. They had been fishing all night long. They had caught nothing. Jesus calls to them from the shore and says, cast your net on the other side. Suddenly, their nets are bursting with fish. Finally, Peter recognizes it is Jesus, it is the Lord. He jumps out of the boat, he runs to greet him and meet him, and and the others get to the shore along with all the fish, and they get to the shore, and Jesus is already cooking some fish 
on a campfire. What if heaven were more like having breakfast on the beach with Jesus and your buddies? It sure beats the heck out of floating around in clouds and playing harp. I don't even think I'd be a very good harpist. Heaven and earth merge, and it will be beautiful in nature. Secondly, it will be brilliant in splendor. Verse 2, John said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. You know, everybody's eyes, you know, nobody cares what the groom looks like. You know, all their eyes are fixed on the bride, right? So, and we use this word, radiant, brilliant. Verses 9 through 27 describe in detail the extravagance of this holy city. Verse 11, it's shown with the glory of God. It's brilliance like that of a jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. Anybody like jewels here? Any ladies here? Verses 18 through 20, its walls were made of jasper. The city was pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the walls decorated with every kind of precious stone, jasper and sapphire and chalcedonian, emerald and sardonyx and carnelian and so forth and so forth. And in verse 21, the 12 gates were each made out of a single pearl. The street was a pure gold, transparent like glass. In this holy city that doesn't even need a street lamp or an electric company because the brilliance and the glory of God itself will give this city light day and night. I can't even imagine that. In verses 24 through 26, the nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Have you ever visited one of the great cities of our world? Or maybe you hope that maybe someday you can. Maybe you want to go to Paris or, or New York or Barcelona or Tokyo or Dubai. Friends, the city of God surpasses everyone, including Waterloo. It's, it's hard to believe, but... Nothing compares to this perfect city of God, your heavenly home, your destiny, your everlasting life. Have you ever wondered if you were worth, worth it? Somebody gives you a gift and you say, oh, that's so expensive, you, you shouldn't have. You, you, it's too extravagant, too, too, uh, too, too valuable for me. You know, lately I've been out, I've been looking at some furniture, hoping to maybe redo some furniture in my house, and, and uh, you know, I go right for the clearance stuff. And I think that's because I'm Dutch. It's like, okay, I'm going to save some money, I'll go for this, and, and, uh, but you know, Sometimes the clearance stuff isn't always the best stuff, right? It's, it's, sometimes it's, okay, maybe the workmanship isn't quite as good. Friends, God says you are worth it. You are worth the very best. This is five-star, palatial, brilliant in splendor, I will spare no expense because you are my child. You are royalty and you will have only the best. So let me lavish on you all that I can, all of the riches and jewels of earth. Nothing but the best. 
Your eternal everlasting life, your eternal heavenly destiny will be beautiful in nature. It will be brilliant in splendor. And thirdly, it will be blessed in communion. Say it with me. It will be blessed in communion. Ever find the presence of God elusive? <laughs> like, Lord, where are you? Lord, I keep praying to you, but it feels like you're not listening. Lord, I don't sense your presence anywhere. Lord, my life feels kind of dry. Lord, where are you? I think we've all had those times. I have too, where God feels distant, where God doesn't seem to be very present in our lives, and we wonder if God is even listening. No matter how hard you try, it just doesn't seem like you can get close to God. And the best we can do is get a little feeling here and there of His Spirit, and that's about it, it seems, in this world. Because our communion with God in this world is broken. It's imperfect. But the good news is that your everlasting life includes blessed communion with God 24-7. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men or with people, and He will live with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Can you imagine never feeling isolated or distant from God ever again? Never feeling like He doesn't hear your prayers because He's right there. He will be with you. And you will share such a blessed communion with your Lord and God that you have never known before, a perfect, intimate relationship with Jesus. He'll be right there in the middle of this holy city all the time. You never need to wonder where He is. Where's the light coming? Oh yeah, it's over there. That's, God is right here. But not only will your communion with God be perfect and unbroken forever and ever, but we will also experience perfect communion with each other. Notice this peculiar phrase from verse 1 of chapter 21. John says, and there was no longer any sea. Now, it's a tricky phrase because John is also telling us about a new heaven, new skies, and a new earth, which by the way, is currently 71% covered with water. How can there be no sea in this perfectly restored earth? Well, one interpretation is the Hebrew understanding of water and seas as representative of chaos and confusion and evil. You may have already heard of that interpretation before the creation of the world. The, the waters were kind of like, kind of, you imagine this murky, bubbling, boiling, whatever it is, uh, substance uh, over the earth before the Spirit, before God intervened uh, and brought order to it all. It was, it was confusion. It was chaos. The flood of Noah's day was destructive. And if any of you have ever lived through floods or had flooding in your basement, uh, you know the destructive power of water. During Jesus' day, in the, the seas, like the Sea of Galilee, when His disciples are out in a boat at night, in the middle of the night, and the storm comes up, and they are terrified because they knew of the legends of how evil spirits hovered over the surface of the waters, especially the stormy waters. 
And just before Revelation 21, in Revelation chapter 20, we learn about this fiery lake, this lake of fire of which the devil is thrown into and done away with. You see water, chaos, confusion, it's all, it that's the Hebrew concept. And so some would argue that John is saying in this new perfect world there'll be no confusion, no chaos, no evil. That's a really good interpretation. But there's another one. And that's the beauty of the Bible, right? That you can have multiple interpretations. Sometimes it's not like there's just one right answer. Remember where John is while having this vision. He has been banished to the island of Patmos. The island of Patmos. He is surrounded by water. And it is the sea which now separates John from everything that he loves. Every connection that he has with other human beings, all of his friends and the fellowship with fellow believers and brothers and sisters in Christ, it's all been, he is separated from that. And what John may be saying is that the separation between us, between peoples, between human beings, between brothers and sisters in Christ, it will all be banished. No more sea. We'll be together. That's a powerful statement. Imagine all of the hurts and divisions and factions and tensions between us as people in this world will all be healed in one fell swoop. Imagine all of the relationship fallout and barriers and baggage and misunderstandings and, and hurts. All of the grudges, all of the distance, gone. The struggle you have to communicate maybe with your spouse or with your children or with your family members or with your friends. It will be healed for believers in Jesus. Imagine no arguments, no miscommunications, no breakups, only perfect relationships, perfect harmony, perfect communion. This is our everlasting life. It is beautiful in nature. It is brilliant in splendor. It is blessed in communion. And fourthly, it is unblemished in perfection. Say it with me. It is unblemished in perfection. Verses 15 through 16. The angel who talked with me, says John, had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city. Even the measuring stick is made of gold. This is amazing its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. That's about 1,400 miles, maybe a little bit more by some estimates, and as wide and as high as it is long. Friends, the holy city of God was a cube, if you ever see pictures depicting it, you see this cube kind of coming down to the earth. A cube is symbolic of perfection. Do you know what else was a perfect cube in the Bible? In the Old Testament? The Holy of Holies. In the temple. In the tabernacle. You know, the place where it was believed that God lived in that area, in that space, that his presence was there. It was so sacred, so holy that only the high priest could go into that once a year 
to make forgiveness of sins. And it was the Holy of Holy. It was the place where God lived. Well, guess what, friends? In the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven, in your everlasting life, the presence of God, there's no more going into the Holy of Holies because you will be living in the Holy of Holies. Amen? This perfect cube, this presence of God, this communion with God will be right there. Nothing but the holy, perfect presence of God. Do you know what is not welcome in that space? Do you know what does not mix with God's holy presence? Sin. Revelation 21, verses 7 through 8. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will give God and I will be with his, excuse me, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death, writes John. In verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter into this holy city, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Can you imagine a world without sin? Ever struggle with temptation or sin in your own life? I know I do. I don't always get it right. I long for the day when I am freed from that tug and that pull, uh, from the desires of my flesh, and, and I will be unblemished. And so will you in the unblemished perfection of God's holy city of your everlasting life. No more struggling with temptation or sins or addictions. All of it will be gone, never to be remembered anymore. It will be banished. It will be cast out by the holy presence in this wonderful cube, the holy city of God, this perfection and so too all the effects of sin, heartache and tears and death and mourning and crying, all of it gone. All these will be a thing of the past in your new everlasting life. Unblemished in perfection. It's just hard to imagine a world where everything works the way it's supposed to. Your everlasting life in heaven will be beautiful in nature, brilliant in splendor, blessed in communion, unblemished in perfection, and finally, it will be beyond your imagination. Verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. No eye has seen, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 2. No ear has heard. No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Friends, it is beyond our imagination. In 1999, Bart Millard, lead singer and songwriter for the popular Christian band Mercy Me, wrote a song called I Can Only Imagine, which soared to the top of the charts. It is still a popular song today. It is a song about his arrival and entry into heaven. What will that be like? He says, I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes would see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. 
Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? To my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Heaven is beyond anything we have ever seen, anything that our minds can now conceive. It is so far beyond our current human experience that even the book of Revelation, we can only speak about it in terms of metaphors and images and and numbers and symbols. Who knows, maybe your new life in heaven will kind of be like being in the Rocky Mountains, Yellowstone National Park, Hawaii, Disneyland, and Augusta National Golf Course all rolled into one. And maybe your favorite Christian band, maybe Mercy Me, will be there and it'll be like an endless Christian concert. Who knows? Maybe Spirit of Grace will be, you know, will be the warm-up act, you know, will be the, the prep, you know. I can just imagine that, right? So, and who knows? Maybe there will be baseball in heaven. I don't know. But what we do know is that we will be satisfied beyond our wildest dreams. Verse 6, the Lord says to John, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. It's like saying, I am the A and the Z and everything in between. And the Lord says, It's done. This is it, the final consummation of all of my creation, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. You don't need a pocketbook. You don't need a credit card. You don't need cash. It's free. Never again do you have to struggle to be satisfied because Jesus, the the living water, the, the, the bread of life, he will be there with you all of the time. Never again will there be restlessness and searching and unfulfilled desire or nervousness and anxiety and fear and frustration because all we will ever know is complete satisfaction, utter contentment, perfect peace and rest. Love, joy, peace, the power, the presence of His Spirit. It is beyond my imagination. And these are the five characteristics that I want to share with you today about your everlasting life. As I asked before, many of us have lost loved ones. And it hurts and it's hard and it's difficult without them. It's sad and it's lonely. But you need to know that in some ways that we don't even fully understand even now that your loved ones are somehow with God and in some ways experiencing even these things now. That you say, I want them back, but they they may not want to come back. For what they are experiencing is so far beyond. And one day you, by faith, will join them. And we will be together again. I just have this idea that that we're going to have a Grace Church reunion in heaven. And if none of the other pastors coordinated it, I will. Okay? Okay. Because we're going to have, we'll say, hey, okay, 
all the members, anybody who's ever belonged to Grace Reformed Church, Waterloo, Iowa, from all the beginning of its time, throughout all history, uh, we're meeting in room number 77. So we've got a luncheon. It's going to be a potluck, so start thinking about what you're going to make and bring. Judy's going to be there to help. She'll set the food out for us. And it's just going to be great, you know. And all the former pastors and all the former members, people that we know and love who've gone before, they will be there too. But here's the thing. This eternal, everlasting life, you don't have to wait until you die to begin to experience it. Because your everlasting life, in truth, it is your life joined to Jesus even now by faith. And it's everlasting because Jesus himself is everlasting. No beginning, no end. It's why Paul would say, um, for to me to live is Christ. He's, He's here with me now, but to die, that's gain. That's even better yet. It's why Paul would say, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. He wasn't talking about when he died. He's talking about here on earth right now. In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says that God puts his seal of ownership on us. He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Friends, your everlasting life, it begins right here, right now with Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Amen? You can begin it now. It's not perfect now. It's not fulfilled. It will be one day in heaven, but it begins now. That's how you get to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And today my prayer, my pastor's heart is saying, I want to, I want, I want to see everybody there at our reunion, at our potluck, okay? I want you to be there. I want to see your friends there. I want to see all of your family members there, all of your children Come to Jesus. Share in this everlasting life now so that we will share in it even more fully together in heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not die but have everlasting, infinite, abundant life that begins here and now. Father, we come before you today. We just confess that we need you. Lord, we need this hope of heaven. We live in a world that is crazy and chaotic and often frustrating and, and, and sometimes it's just dark. And Lord, we need the brilliance of your splendor, the brilliance of heaven, the light of Jesus, something to look forward to. So God, we, we just claim this wonderful truth today, this vision of John uh, for the new heaven and the new earth, and we just thank you for it. We thank you that heaven isn't just some place out there in the clouds somewhere, uh, but it is in your presence, even here on earth, that somehow in ways that we do not fully understand, that heaven and earth will merge on that day when Jesus returns and his kingdom is finally consummated. And so, Lord, if there is anyone here today who does not yet know Jesus, is uncertain of their heavenly destiny, Before the sun goes down today, Lord, would you convict them to fall on their knees and to receive you as Savior and Lord. For God, we want to share in that great reunion. 
that great heavenly home. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Thank you for this hope that we share. Lead us there and lead our friends there and use us in the process. We pray it and we ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.